we're seeing people who are recognizing they have the opportunity to do this first, but recognizing it's a very, very small window. And it is a small window. People are, are moving quickly into this space out of imperative, really, because they're losing their audience. One, two, Welcome to the Redefining Sales podcast, where we reimagine and redefine sales in a digital world. In this new series, we have absolutely scoured the world to bring you only the best of the very best. We will be working with each of the thought leaders to unpack all of their years of experience, their pearls of wisdom and nuggets of gold into bite-sized chunks that will enable you to redefine your sales. Welcome to the Redefining Sales Podcast, where we redefine sales in a digital age. My name's Abby White, and today we have with us the amazing Michelle Schuberg, CEO of Curious, which is an immersive technology company. Now, I am so excited to have Michelle for multiple reasons. The first is all I'm hearing at the moment is the opportunity around the metaverse, the metaverse, the metaverse. Um, it's number one buzzword that I am hearing. And we've just done our own research into the future of sales and where we are seeing sales going. And so much of it is going down that digital path. So I really wanted to get on an expert in this field to really demystify and unpack it for us and help us understand the tangible user cases, business opportunities that exist today. The second reason, um, just to fill in the blanks, Michelle happens to be my next door neighbor. My little boy is often hanging out with Michelle's kids. Um, and we try and have these grown up conversations all the time around this opportunity and two seconds later get stopped by our kids. So it was actually a cool and fun opportunity to, um, for me to talk to Michelle as a grown up for once. So a little bit more about Michelle. Uh, Michelle Schuberg is the CEO of Curious, as I mentioned, and they're an Australian immersive technology innovator. And they delivered the world's first software for immersive experiences live, online, through VR, AR, and they've worked with clients such as Johnson Johnson and Infinity and Primal Pictures. Um, before that, prior to joining Curious, Michelle's background was as a creative director for Imagination Australia and executive creative director with Jack Morton. During that time, she has worked on globally recognised award-winning campaigns for the likes of Woolworths, Telstra, Ford, Audi, Samsung and Microsoft. And I can say after yesterday spending time with her um, on her platform, Curious, and understanding the opportunity, I can say that she absolutely knows her stuff inside out. And it's something that I think is really exciting to get across. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to the Redefining Sales podcast, Michelle. Amazing to have you here. Thanks so much for having, having me, Abby. I'm really excited to be here. I love the fact I can probably see you from my window, but yet we're recording. It's yeah, entertaining. And I'm very excited that we finally get to have a conversation as grown-ups and not just chasing our kids down the street. This is a very <laughs> novel experience for them. I love that it's taken us a little while to discover that we're like, oh, you do that. Oh, I do that. Oh, we need to talk. <laughs> and then another 12 months to get around to making that happen. I know. And I couldn't even search for you on LinkedIn. So it's like, Michelle, Sky's mum. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome, Michelle Skye's mum or CEO of Curious, whichever takes your fancy. 
I'm very happy for those worlds to collide. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of worlds, um, we need to speak about another world. So I want to start by setting the scene, um, actually just getting everyone on the same page around a bit of terminology, because I think there's a hell of a lot of confusion. I speak for myself in that, and you know it because you've explained it to me. Um, can we start by, if you were explaining to my delightful three-year-old, said very sarcastically, what is the metaverse? How would you explain it, describe it, unpack it to really demystify um, the confusion? Yeah, I, th I think, it, interestingly, it would be much easier to explain it to your three-year-old or my 12-year-old or my seven-year-old than it would to uh, a 40 or 50-year-old. But I think the simplest explanation is imagine being able to walk around the internet. So at the moment, the internet is a two-dimensional Think of it almost like a magazine or a brochure that you flick through. But the metaverse brings us the opportunity to go inside, to walk around and to physically experience the internet. And then the second, that's a good explanation. I like that. Um, the second one for you is then, some, and then we've got our terminology nailed so we can crack into it. Mm -hmm. Immersive experiences. I know Curious is all about immersive experiences. How, and I believe that means something a little bit different to everybody. How are you defining that? Yeah, you really, that definition came about before the word metaverse became buzzword of 2022. And it was created to help people understand that difference between the two dimensional, uh, you know, brochure like internet experience and one that you can actually become immersed in and, and move around. I think the the most common understanding is in virtual reality, where you're physically with a headset on, you can look around you, you're in a, a three-dimensional world that you can navigate but you don't have to be in the headset to do that you can you can do the same thing on your mobile phone just with the gyro on your phone or on your laptop if you think of all the pc games out there think of all of the kids right now around the world on roblox or on minecraft they're all immersive experiences it's really just the difference um, in looking passively at a world and physically being able to go inside and engage with it yeah. And it's interesting because I one misunderstanding I had before really dive into this world with you was that you had to have the headset. And obviously you gave me an awesome demo of the Curious platform and we played around with it. I feel like I'm totally cool now because I've been playing in the metaverse. I can pretend I'm cool. <laughs> You're my cool friend. You are cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, and that was actually a myth that you busted for me that I thought you had to have the headset. Yeah, I think the first commercial iteration of the metaverse was actually Second Life, which was not in headsets at all. It was probably a little early for its time. But you certainly don't need to have a headset to be in the metaverse. I understand why that perception is there. And it's because a lot of the big organisations that are really moving forward the conversation around metaverse are hardware providers or are moving into the hardware space. So there is that understanding. And of course, in a headset, it's always going to be you know, really compelling and exciting, but they're not super accessible and certainly uh, not super accessible when you come to a corporate client and, and trying to manage that technology, the procurement, the management of it within the overall IT ecosystem. You know, there's, there's still a fairly big barrier there. Yeah. So you said before, you know, buzzword of 2022 is the metaverse, yeah. and it totally feels like that. I don't know why. I feel like it's come from nowhere, and then all of a sudden it's every conversation that I'm in. 
why is that? Like, what can you give us a bit of a lay of the land as to why all of a sudden it's everywhere? What are the challenges that have caused this? Like, how has this come about? Yeah, I think the the term is everywhere because Mark Zuckerberg changed his company name to Meta and really propelled that piece of terminology forward. But the actual technology that sits behind it is um, is the thing that is giving us these opportunities. So, you know, the introduction of 5G, the ability, therefore, to start embracing edge computing a little more, the um, technical capabilities on our everyday devices allowing us, and, and as we start to crawl into Web3, all of those advancements are allowing us to do more with our devices than we ever did before. And the natural progression, the place that we've gone is into a perpetual 3D world. So there's there's two parts to that, the notion of perpetual and the notion of 3D. So the, the 3D world is, is simply that immersive, immersive experience, the ability to go in and wander around and physically engage with something, which has quite a different physiological um result for our brain and the way we process the information we receive that way than being right side versus you know a left side experience if we were just sitting there passively watching a, a screen and then the other part of that is the perpetual um, concept so the notion that something remains um, your know, object permanence I guess in the internet so that you may go and influence that space add a add an image add a message add a piece of graffiti on a wall if that's what's you know being required of you in that space not I'm not encouraging graffiti kids. Um, <laughs> and you can go back a month later and it'll still be there. So that ability to build uh, a footprint or a fingerprint, if you like, um, of personalization over time, I think is incredibly compelling and incredibly important to us as human beings. That's what starts to build community and drive a sense of belonging and give people skin in the game. If you've gone in and played something and your score's sitting in the top three, you want to go and know that you haven't been kicked off that leaderboard or if you are uh, invested in a particular topic and you've contributed to something in a space to be able to go back and see um, how people have responded what that presence has um, inspired in, in reaction is very compelling hence the success of social media so the the permanence of these 3d environments is is really a very very big part of their driving force and then of course the engagement that you have through the the notion of a, a three-dimensional space that you can move through and of course the data that comes out of that's pretty rich as well you know there's a lot of clicks to measure there so you know really that notion of perpetual 3d worlds from a technical perspective is what has propelled us forwards but the term has been you know coined and it, it, it's actually quite handy for people like me because we've spent quite a few years now explaining to people what a perpetual 3D world is and, and now we can just have metaverse and people have a, at least a, a vague understanding of where we might be heading. Yeah. It was funny. Um, I had a conversation with, side note, I had a conversation with you about the metaverse and we were trying to sort of unpack it whilst chasing kids and my brother was here and then you left and my brother and I went, God, this is what our parents must have felt like. <laughs> the iPhone came out or something else. And my brother yeah. and I stood there and we were like, yeah, this is totally what our parents' generation would have gone through. Well, imagine trying to explain the internet to your great-great-grandparents. Yeah. You know, or your great-grandparents or, or to someone who's never seen it, me as a child. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, in that there's those beautiful rare moments in life where something truly new comes along. And until you're on the other side of that, uh, paradigm shift it's 
almost impossible to explain because we don't have the reference points. Yeah, Thankfully, it was more of an evolution than a complete uh, revolution like the internet was. So it's, yeah. it's somewhat explainable. And I've got to say, you doing the demo for me and your explainer video, which I'll put in the show real notes, that kind of, for me, it's like you can see it, you can then understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, makes a whole lot more sense. And then the truth is it's actually very simple. There's nothing um, complicated or hard to, to navigate or to manage about it. It's it's one of those things, uh, you know, I really love the beauty of the simplicity of it that when you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Why didn't we always do that? That just makes sense. Yeah, I love that. And you talked before about um, engaged communities, and I want to go back and pick up on that and delve into that world, because I noticed on um, some of your marketing information that I was reading, you talked about, we no longer pay attention as a captive audience, but now carefully spend our attention. And that really, really, really spoke to me around how you're creating engagement. And that, I would say, is also the topic and challenge of the moment. So can we unpack and dive into that? Yeah, yeah. Look, there's been a real power shift, I think, um, in, in favour of the user. And so that idea that we were obliged to spend our, uh, to pay attention to anything that we were asked to pay attention to from our employer or from or, or begged from us from a marketing perspective, I think people have become far more discerning over the last, say, 10 years, but that's certainly accelerated in the last couple of years. And so now that a, a much greater percentage of our engagement is online, especially in a work environment. People have become really discerning around where they're going to spend their attention. So they think about it as, well, hang on a minute, do, do you deserve the right to this hour of mine? Have you earned that? Or are you going to um, you know, do something that really doesn't give value to me? Because I, um, I now expect a, a really good value exchange for my time. So we've become far more, um, precious is not the right word, we've started to value our time far more as users and become far more discretionary around where we, where we spend our attention instead of the obligation to pay our attention, which means that businesses and brands, the ownership really sits with them to, to earn that attention. And so I, I think we came out of a period where we talked about the experience economy and building experience brands. And I think we've gone into the attention economy. You know, how do we get, capture and keep an audience's attention when we no longer can shut the door to the boardroom or the ballroom and keep them captive and have them, you know, as decent humans feeling fairly obliged to at least pretend to listen. So uh, that shift has been a really interesting and a really interesting thing. And you know, we've watched our uh, clients, I guess, struggle to to rise to that challenge. And I, that's really a very big driver for us in in producing the platform that we have produced. We've been working in this space for a long time, but giving people uh, something that is really easy to access, it's a plug and play off the shelf, get up and go, and you can create a very different level of engagement with an audience and you can measure that in a far more comprehensive way as well. And I noticed when you were when you and I were playing around with it and you were showing me the curious platform, the other things that were popping into my head and challenges that I've seen around, you know, our clients was, for example, you know, some of our clients might build um, a content library or a partner portal with various different content resources. And for some, you know, the usage isn't what you'd like. So you spend all this time, money building it and people don't necessarily engage as much or education. You know, some people are going, well, how do I actually educate my customers or my partners or my community, but actually in a way that people are going to participate and not just be doing their 
emails in the background and engage. So I, when I was looking at it, you know, through my lens, that was sort of some of the opportunities I saw that, that how do you create better engagement in those sorts of contexts? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a very interesting journey for me personally, actually. When when we first launched the, the really productized version of this, I expected the vast majority of people to come to us for virtual events and training. So for a moment in time and then have the conversation with them about, hang on a minute, this is perpetual. So you've got this wonderful opportunity to create a, a very engaging resource centre ongoing. But in fact, it's the resource centre that we are seeing um, most of our customers coming to talk to us about first so they're saying wow actually i can leverage all of those assets that i've got all of that that sort of rich quaffer of information that we as a business have spent a lot of money and time and and effort creating and and really often see it go very 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 much unutilized we can have that in a uh, format that is going to make it much more accessible, but also that we can measure and tell you whether it's being effective or not, rather than just saying, well, I, we don't know whether they were watching or were they off Instagramming the cat, who knows? Something <laughs> <laughs> the three-year-old, probably. Um, but, and then saying, oh, and while we're here, we can schedule meetings or we can see who's in the world or wander up to them and have a chat while they're in there. You know, there's all those other wonderful opportunities for engagement. But I think the ability to bring all of the information and the resources together and organise them in a way that makes sense to the user rather than in a way that makes sense to a corporate filing structure. So rather than having your assets grouped around file type, let's group them around subject matter. Let's have them in an environment where you can go and explore them, grab them, park them over here for later, have a look, um, you know, get get involved with them, see who else is looking at them and communicate with other people as well if that's, you know, something that's suitable for the for the client and it's, it's not for everybody, but the ability to see each other in that space, <clears throat> to see who's interacting in real time and go and have a chat, have a conversation. So one thing that I felt when I was when I was talking to you about this was there's actually a real competitive advantage to be had by getting in there first, because if you can actually start engaging with your audience better than others, but engaging with your customers, your partners better than your competition and have that first move advantage, that has got to be pretty powerful. Are you seeing that or, or that's just my lens? Absolutely. No, absolutely. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing people who are recognising they have the opportunity to do this first, but recognising it's a very, very small window. And it is a small window. People are, are moving quickly into this space out of imperative, really, because they're losing their audience, you know, with a far more remote uh, audience, whether that's your internal employee audience, whether it's a B2B audience, a partner network, end consumers to some extent, but I think those business audiences far more, they are rapidly moving further and further out of reach so the people who manage to get their um to get their attention and to bring them into the fold most quickly are, are certainly going to be um a, a huge step ahead and i think that is actually a really interesting point around metaverse that i hear a lot there's there's sort of two conversations that happen around metaverse and i think they're both valid and very much um what we need as a, a technical community. One is the beacon on the hill, metaverse doesn't exist yet, it's gonna be this amazing thing and once it's up and running, you'll know about it, but no one knows what it is. 
kind of true from a really big global perspective. You know, there are not the standards and the security protocols out there. Web3 doesn't have itself bedded down in a way that is going to make um, the end of that journey, the finite, you know, this is what the metaverse has ended up being. You know, we don't know that yet. We sort of know what the internet was, but we didn't 20 years ago. We, we had to get into it and get comfortable and bed down in it. Um, and we still need to do that with the metaverse. And we need those people who are focusing on that beacon on the hill because we need someone to pioneer the way. But the other part of the conversation is all of the tenants of the metaverse exist. All of those key building blocks exist. It's about figuring out what we do as a community with them, how we best use them. And that's the, that's the beacon on the hill stuff. But if we sit around and wait for someone who is, you know, very creative, very academic, who who is probably less grounded in business to tell us where it's going, then it might not go where we need it to. But we're also really going to be way behind the eight ball. So to your first mover advantage point, if you sit around and wait for five years or 10 years to see where it went, then you've missed it because you need to be getting in there and, and starting to build now. So taking the building blocks that are available to us and starting to use them not only makes us a little bit more future-proof, but it means that we can win in the world that we find ourselves today. Yeah, I think I read a stat the other day by Accenture. I think you and I were talking about this, that something like in the next um, 10 years, it was like 2032 or something like that, we'll spend 50% of our time in the metaverse. I was like, oh my gosh, that's insane. And you can see the steps to it starting to happen already. Whilst that's 10 years out, you can see the steps starting to happen today. So that kind of- Sorry. Just the next iteration of the internet. If someone said to us, we spend 50% of our time in the internet, we'd go, yeah, I could see that. And, and really, so if we frame this as the evolution of that, then it, it isn't quite as terrifying. Yeah, good point, good point. So that begs the question, how do we win in this new paradigm? We're saying there's a small window um, to get a competitive advantage and people are moving already. So how do we win? I think we win by by taking a very um, honest look at what is happening with our audiences. And what I'm seeing happening is people moving further and further and further away from the brands they need to be connected to, largely because of platform fatigue. So we see people making a very valiant effort to engage and they're layering up platform on top of platform on top of platform. So you'll have a virtual event platform and then you'll you'll have your LMS, which they're looking to sort of innovate and do some cool stuff on mobile. And you will have, uh, you know, a, a hub, as you were talking about before, a resource hub that, again, might be an app or, or you know, might sit as a website or a web-based service. Um, and then I'm seeing a, a huge number of people hopping onto um, public metaverse platforms for some social time. So there's four or five platforms that you need to navigate in order to have a fairly regular cadence of communication. And so that platform fatigue is, is really getting to people and, and people are just not bothering, they're not that interested. So I think the opportunity to bring all of those um, experiences, all of the communication-based experiences together under one roof, although we no longer are bound by the laws of physics, so we don't have to have a roof, um, thankfully. So bring them together all under one roof or essentially start to build what I often term as a digital town square. So where, what does your brand, um, how do they show up? How do you show up in a digital environment? How do you show up online? What is 
your brand's presence and how can that serve all of your audiences for all of their online communication needs so that, that you know that you've got one spot to go, whether you're going to buy veggies or have a glass of wine with your mate in the piazza that night, you're going to the town square um, and you can find everything you need there. And as a brand, I can go there and find my audience at any time as well. So I think that's how you win a new paradigm. I think you understand that that our presence online is, is shifting and evolving in a way that is really far better suited to our lifestyles these days, where we are all far more transient. Um, you know, proximity is, is an issue for businesses and a, often now a great benefit for employees. And I think the understanding that you need to um, build a digital home, a, a, a one home where people know they can come and experience everything from the, the values and the personality of your brand to the way your brand wants to service people to, to getting their hands on some fruit and veg and some, you know, tangible information that they might need. I liked that actually when you said that to me that analogy in the town hall concept and you used that for me I was like yep yeah, okay got it oh sorry it's the square I really 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 liked that um speaking of which can we just to bring this to life even more can you talk to some user cases so that I know for me personally it took me a long time to get my head around and it's only when you demoed it for me I was like I've got it and you taught me through examples and people who are using it and so on um can you talk through a few user cases examples to bring this to life yeah absolutely i think a, a great one is a pharmaceutical client that we have um, they initially used the platform as a training event for or sell their annual sales training kickoff for 750 um pharma sales folk around australia and new zealand but since then it has evolved and they're now using it to train surgeons on their medical devices and to build a community around those surgeons and to help those surgeons access resources and sign up to other programs that they have. They are uh, looking to hold a seminar series for frontline workers and help provide some of the resources that, that are sometimes a little hard to access but increasingly valuable for that audience. And their legal team's even looking to use it as a resource centre for, for um, people looking for legal advice around the world and, and trying to help, I guess, triage and send people in the right direction to find the right resource that they need in a far more streamlined, user-friendly way. Because one of the great things is you don't need to have any, any technical understanding of any software platform to pick this up and use it. Um, I think to that example, we've been having some really interesting conversations in the aged care sector too, because, um, you know, the ability for people to, and, and disability sector, the ability for people to access content um, when they are stuck at home requires a level of, of computer literacy that might not be there. So to have a platform that's completely intuitive, that you walk around like you're using one finger on a mouse pad or a mouse, um, like you would if you were really there, is is super helpful when you, when you are considering an audience that maybe don't have those literacy levels, those computer literacy levels that many of us in the industries that, that we are in or that our clients are in have. Yep. And another myth that you busted for me, I'm going with every myth that Abby had, <laughs> um, was I kind of in my head thought, oh, this is going to be something for big businesses and this is going to be something super expensive. Um, it's going to be quite complex. And 
actually you kind of busted that myth for me in probably like 60 seconds flat when we actually started going through it so can you talk to us about that because whilst we work with a lot of corporates we do likewise work with some small businesses who might have that same myth that I had in my head yeah look we've worked really hard to make this super accessible for everybody and I think that's incredibly important because well, you know, we're both small business owners. It's it's certainly, um, that's where a lot of the innovation and the pioneering thinking comes along. So why would you not support that audience? But the, I think the, um, the notion of building a platform that helps people streamline things and in fact saves them a lot of money because this is maybe one license where you would otherwise have to have four or five uh, is very interesting. So people are actually seeing very tangible cost savings, but the platform itself is, is you know, quite inexpensive, I think, given um, given the functionality. But the, yeah, the, the opportunity for anyone to jump on there is absolutely there. Um, you know, you can, we've got library environments, so you can go and pick a world that you like. But if you wanted to go to the other end, um, and if you're, you know, at that big enterprise end of business, you, um, you can go crazy and, and make a bunch of really bespoke stuff and really own it as well. So we're, we're very conscious of supporting both ends of the market and it's a yeah. really intentional move. No, I, I love that and I was quite surprised by that. So what are the first steps that um, if someone is sort of listening to this conversation and going, right, I keep hearing about the metaverse everywhere I go or I keep hearing about immersive experiences, um, I I know until I sat down with you, I almost just didn't know where to start with it. And I had it in my head as like, I should do this and I should be looking at this, but I don't bloody know what to do. So, so what are the first steps? You know, I think that's a really interesting point. We have, uh, well, the first steps are to get in touch and we'll have a chat, you know, where I'm, I'm very um, passionate about the fact that helping to educate people in this space as part of my responsibility and our responsibility as a business. So I'm happy to have a chat to anyone who just has a question or says, ah, oh, I've got to present to the, I get a lot of this, I've got to present to the board on the metaverse and I don't want to look like an idiot. Can I just run it by you? Sure. Happy to do that always. But the, um, you know, I, I, I think too, the other question that we get asked a lot is, but how do we manage this as a program within the business? Do we have the resource that we need? Do we? And the answer is yes, you absolutely do. If you've ever managed uh, any other digital project, then it's it's exactly the same. It's it's no different. It's in fact far more streamlined. I'd like to think easy to to jump on board than it is in any other digital project. You don't need any special um, skill set in house that you don't already have. It's it's not time consuming. Literally, the you know in its simplest form, you you take a a web form, drop in your logo, drop in a couple of colors that you'd like featured, um, and drop in a bunch of web links of the content you want in there any meeting links that you would like hit a button and it and off it goes it's you know it's a very straightforward process so first step speak to michelle which is what i did <laughs> and then is it also starting to look at because because one thing for me was i came out of the discussion with you with like four or five different user cases is it also looking at that as well of what user case do you start with and then build from there like you yeah. gave us farmer example of how they started with one point and then built on yeah absolutely absolutely and you know uh, understanding I guess what your most pressing business need is um, 
and also what's the lowest hanging fruit? What's the easiest way? Because this is a perpetual license and because it's a perpetual world, you can get in there and make changes, update it. The idea is we want it to live and breathe and grow. So jump in and do something that's that you feel is really manageable and achievable. That would be one big piece of advice I have is don't try and boil the ocean or eat the whole elephant in one mouthful. Jump in, just take a nibble, do something really manageable so that you get to understand and get the feel for it um, and then grow from there. Yep. So changing tact completely, but I have to ask, ask this question because I've decided this is a myth-busting podcast inadvertently. Um, the other one for me that I had was security. Um, yes. I had in my head, because you read a lot of stuff online, let's go with, um, that, you know, all security can be a concern. And that one for me was a barrier because, you know, in my world, I work with a lot of IT clients. Um, hmm. I know you do. Um, and so, you know, security is paramount. So can you also bust that myth for us? Yes, absolutely. And and really, that's that's the, the valid reason why people say the metaverse as a broad thing isn't there yet you know in, in my in my perspective the public metaverse spaces that are out there do, you know are, are not in a position to have the security protocols that would be appropriate for an enterprise or a large corporate to put business sensitive information on absolutely not but uh, we you know we come from a corporate background i've spent 25 years in agency land um and so the understanding the majority of our clients are, are you know pharma auto um fintech you know industries that have very um rigid compliance and so we have built the product from the ground up with that in mind so it's a webgl product there's no app there's no software nothing that needs to be downloaded onto your um, enterprise machines and we don't actually host any of the content so we'll aggregate web links of your content if you want to use um, the resource center for example we'll aggregate web links of your content from wherever it sits and it sits behind all its existing security protocols so we have a a client in the asset management um, space who use this as their internal careers campus, we can't see any of their content, even, even our team. We can see that the links are working, but we can't see it because we're not authenticated. So when someone logs into their platform and, and we can either create authentication through or zero, or we can um, work with your team and, um, and do single sign-on, which is great. We're actually doing that with one of the big four consultancies at the moment. Um, so single sign-on is, is I, I guess, probably best practice. Um, and then the platform knows whether, you know, Michelle Schuberg's authenticated to see that piece of content or not. And if I click on it, I just get a very polite message letting me know that um, that I am not authorised to see that. If I am, then I it's served to me seamlessly. Um, that also is really great from a version control issue <laughs> or, or saving any version control issues because, of course, we're taking the link from the source. So if you change a PowerPoint deck um, over here in this folder, then we're taking the link. We're always just going to get whatever the, the latest deck is, um, which is which is fantastic for people. We do have one customer who likes to use um, this as a, a way of encouraging people to sign up for programs. So they'll have their uh, partner audience log in and they're always KPI'd on how many people they can get to sign up for certain programs. So if they click on a piece of content, they'll just get a message saying, oh, you haven't signed up for this, why not do that right now? Uh, so it's actually sort of a lead generation tool for them, the, the security protocol. Actually, I, on that note, that was one thing I liked that when we were looking um, 
looking at the tool yesterday, actually you had little, a couple little sort of really soft, really gentle, really nicely done calls to action where you could get someone to opt in or, yeah. you know, say, yeah, I'd love to download that PDF or whatever it might be or sign up to that right. webinar. Yes, yes. We have little call to action buttons and glowing orbs and fun things that you can engage with that help you elicit the outcomes that you need because having a wonderful experience is great, but it's worth nothing if we can't measure it for you or if you can't take that next step down the path, whatever that pathway is that you're trying to take people down. So there's little buttons that you pop, little call to action buttons that you can pop on things and they could take you off to, I don't know, a lead gem form on your CRM system. They could take you to um, an open um, Zoom call or a web link if you want to be able to talk to somebody more about the, the subject. It can literally take you anywhere. We have um, a customer in the Middle East who has it go to Uber Eats because food is such a big part of Arabic hospitality and not something they'd solved in the metaverse or in the um, in their online platforms before. So it can, it, you know, it can literally um, take you off to whatever location is going to best serve your business outcome, whether that's hospitality or lead generation. I love the Uber Eats example. I'm now, that's that's oh it. God. Like best day ever for me is when someone comes up with a way of using one of these features or functions that we haven't thought of because we worked so hard and continue to work hard to bring to bear features and bring to bear functionality that can be used in lots of different ways for lots of different people because, you know, we want this to be your town square. We want it to have your fingerprints all over it. And so when someone comes up with something we haven't thought of, like, like that's there's no better, no better moment. Yeah. And I just want to circle back to um, the learning side of things because you mentioned earlier, you know, people might have an LMS or, you know, um, people might be struggling to get the engagement around enablement and learning, particularly at the moment where, you know, we're kind of in this hybrid world of are we doing it virtually are we not and how are we doing it and you gave me some really cool um stats and just information yesterday and it really explained it to me about why we're seeing better learning outcomes in the immersive world can you tap back into that yeah absolutely i think there's a a couple of reasons for that i think we have the ability well there's one primary reason and that is that we have the ability to tailor the learning to uh to to suit you know our our brains and the way we function as 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 humans you know and um pwc released a really great report i think last year it came out um that said that people learn four times fast four times faster in a virtual environment than they do in a physical classroom environment which seemed a little shocking at first but if you think about it probably a, a, a workshop or a classroom uh, training session, of, of course it's not, the, but you're in an unusual space, you've got lots of distractions, you probably flew into state and slept in a hotel and, you know, not your bed, had something different for breakfast. Of course you're not primed to best receive information. And so I think the opportunity to look at using an online tool um, to deliver the education components of our learning and then use live to deliver the action planning based components of our learning anything that you really need a pheromone for whether that's networking whether that's you know cr critical thinking workshopping hackathons you know any of that sort of um contact sport type thinking is great in person but actually to go and and deliver a bunch of information to get people educated and understanding something then immersive is is far more effective. The other thing is we know that building a new neural pathway is 
um, it's just a repetition game. Whether that's a soft skill or hard skill, you know, whether you're learning, we have simulations that teach people to um, refuel an aeroplane, 20 steps to refuel a particular jet for an American client. Um, and so someone can learn those procedural steps before they actually spend the money having a plane grounded in a hangar for some someone to learn to refuel it. So it could be very, very procedural, but we've also worked on emotional regulation products as well. So there's the soft skills. So the ability to have um, that available to you at any time um, so that you can repeat, 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 repeat until you gain proficiency, I think is another really big benefit that you don't have in a traditional environment. Uh, you know, aviation is a really wonderful example. We know how long those flight simulators have been around. We know there was something like a 30% reduction in um, in aircraft incidents in the first half a decade, or I'm making those numbers up, but it's something like that. Um, we know how effective that is. We also know pilots today still sit in their hotel rooms on layovers playing, um, playing flight simulator games because they know they just have to practice, 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 practice. So I guess having something perpetually accessible so that people can um, go and access and repeat that learning pattern until it becomes a new pathway for them is uh, is hugely valuable as well. I love that. And that really spoke to me when um, when you talked about it. So are there any other myths that we haven't busted? I have got my list here and you've busted all of my myths. Are there any other common concerns or myths um, that someone is going to be sitting here going, Abby, why did you not ask that question? <laughs> well, um, I think one of the things that we see most often is before people take their first step into the immersive space, they think, oh, my guy's going to use this, they're going to be into it. <clears throat> and and um, invariably the result is, oh, my gosh, they they you know, really pulled apart every pixel of that place. We used to do heat maps for people and then we stopped because it just looked like a scene out of Ghostbusters where it just been covered in it. We had like a green dot for wherever anyone had been. It just looked like the whole place had been covered with ectoplasm. What's interesting is we see people climb every wall, they try and jump out of every window. They really, really explore. And so we go from this sense of trepidation before people have experienced it first time to go, well, what else can we put in there? What else can we put in there? How do we keep people engaged? How do we how do we keep them coming back and finding something fresh, which is really exciting. And I think that is, um, you know, that is the the commitment, you know, to to actually say, well, as human beings, we, we can't concentrate for well, more than 12 and a half minutes. If you're well-fed, well-slept, healthy adult first thing in the morning, 12 and a half minutes is all you can expect. So if as humans, we need to modulate our focus, our attention every 10 minutes, then the more things you can give people to do to help them have that um, that need for novelty met in their brain without leaving you and going to another screen or a phone or the washing or something else, then the longer you've got them and the better you've you've um, engaged with them. Yeah, I love that. So off tangent there for you. No, I like the Ghostbusters reference as well. <laughs> um, if you were going to leave one piece of parting advice one thing that someone's now going, okay, I'm excited about this. I'm curious about this. No pun intended. Um, I'm going to start looking at this. One piece of parting advice for our audience, what would it be? It's not hard and you are ready. If you have an audience who are not sitting in physical proximity to you, that you need to keep engaged in your information, whether it's an internal audience or an external one, 
then you're ready. You have a need, um, and it's it's just not it's not hard. It's not scary. Promise. And we've got you. We'll take care of you. Yep. If Michelle can explain it to me, then everyone else <laughs> is covered. <laughs> Um, thank you so, so, so much for coming on um, and really busting some myths and unpacking this for us and some of the user cases and opportunities for businesses to get a competitive advantage. If people want to connect with you, um, other than finding you and tracking you down in the metaverse, where is good to connect? Uh, I'm very happy to share my email address if you'd like to share that with people, Abby. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, either way is fine. I will put both of those in the show notes. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved having a grown-up conversation away from our kids. I actually think this is the longest we've ever spoken in a grown-up capacity without me stopping and going, Jaden, put that down. <laughs> yep, yep, could well be, could well be. But it was fun. Let's do it again. Yeah, this is the way we're going to do this. We're going to do loads of podcast episodes now to just escape our kids. We can have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank Perfect. you, Michelle. All right, so nice to see you. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to receive the inside scoop on what is working right now in our highest performing campaigns, and likewise, what are the pitfalls to avoid directly to your inbox, then simply visit insidescoop.salesredefined.com.au to make sure that you receive our fortnightly newsletter with everything that you need to know to stay ahead of the pack directly to your inbox. And finally, before you leave us, don't forget to subscribe to Redefining Sales Podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed it, we would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a comment or perhaps share it with a friend or colleague who you know would enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Money.